Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 198 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'll be quick with my intro today as I want to jump right into a topic that was brought to me by a Rogue community member as well as listener, which I'll tee up in just a second. But first, I want to let you know that we've got a couple of our podcast-based virtual training programs opening up starting next week, September 8th. And you can check out that info and get signed up over the next week. You can even sign up through the end of September for those who might be interested. We've got our main podcast training group that we call the group, The Renegades. And that group trains for really all distances from those training for 5Ks and 10Ks, looking to get PRs at those distances, all the way to those training for half marathons or marathon, whether they be happening virtually or not. So you can join that group. It's a group for a more experienced runner who's running at least 25 miles a week already. And so if that's you and if you're interested in being coached by me and former guest coach Coco's for that group, James Dodds, we have weekly podcasts as well as a training program that you follow along in that program with different tracks for the different distances So if you're interested, go to our website, click under the training button, and you'll see the information on the podcast-based training group there. You can also join in that same time frame starting this week through the end of the month, our base training program, which is going to restart on September 8th. I coach that group with also former guest, Coach Jason Brooks, who's with us and who coaches our a lot of our virtual athletes. So Jason and I will be leading that base training program for those that are looking to establish a mileage foundation and prepare for what might be some hopefully more certain races to come by really focusing on volume as well as building strength. We have a strength program that's a part of that program to help you build both the aerobic foundation as well as the neuromuscular foundation to then go on and train for whatever you might want to train for. That program is great for those looking to reset. It's also great for those that are looking to rebuild, perhaps after injury, to set themselves up for success down the road. So both of those programs, our Renegades program as well as our base training program, are going to be open starting today and available through for sign-up through the end of the month, really starting in earnest next week, September 8th. So go check out that information if you're interested at our on our homepage click on the train button and then you'll see all of those details as as one of the sublinks. So, with that as a quick intro, hope you join us, but if not, no worries. You can always just keep listening to this podcast and get the tips that way. For this episode, I want to talk about a topic that was brought to us by Aaron Ozenbaugh, who is a member of our community here in Austin and who has been a longtime member of our community and she brought up a very valid and good point which is that in our running community, we also have a challenge or at least opportunity with inclusivity around body type as well as body size. And she's someone who has personal experience with that question of are all body types welcome in in the broader running community? And she raised it as something that manifests oftentimes in retail environments where sizes aren't available for certain body types as well as it might in might manifest in race environments where you can't get race swag in the sizes that are inclusive of all body types. And so she wanted to bring this topic up as a discussion that we all need to have 
We've talked recently about how we've got a challenge with inclusivity around diversity and people of color in our community, and that's absolutely valid and true. And I think size inclusivity is another area where we have opportunity as a running community. So I'm bringing Erin on to talk about that topic, talk about it not only from her perspective and experience as a new, as a, as a runner who was once new in the running community, but also as a solution-oriented person who's looking at turning the mirror on the community so that we can all be better together. So with that as a quick intro, I'm going to bring Aaron on for this very important discussion. Here we go. Welcome Aaron Ozenbaugh to the Running Rogue podcast. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm okay. I'm getting ready for my quality workout tonight and seeing it, seeing if it's going to rain or not. <laughs> Looks like we've got a small chance and I'm honestly crossing my fingers for that. I don't know if you are as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> better, better to have rain than a hundred plus degree temperatures in Texas in the summer. Yes. So Aaron, as I mentioned in my intro, you are a member of the rogue community and had a topic on your mind that you wanted to chat about. And I believe it's a great and worthy topic for broader discussion. So that's why you're here. So I want to first just learn a little bit more about you and your running journey. Take us through the beginnings. how did you get started in running? Sure. Um, I came to UT to get my undergrad degree and I, I was never overly active growing up. I kind of did the team sports just because that's what everybody did. But I was never, I was never an athlete. I was never super serious about them. I was never fit. Uh, finished school, got my, my first desk job. And um, everyone tells you about the freshman 15 when you come to school, but nobody tells you about the bachelor's degree 50 pounds that you gain after you finish school and... Um, start being sedentary. So that's where I was in my late 20s, um, just way too heavy, way too unhealthy, and started going to the gym and kind of got into that community a little bit. And then I, I hit a plateau. I lost some weight and was getting fit, uh, but wanted another challenge. And it was you know, around 2010, 2011, where if, anywhere you looked in the city of Austin, you saw a Rogue logo. There, there was t-shirts you couldn't get on the trail without seeing a Rogue t-shirt or 20 of them. Uh, you couldn't sit at a stoplight without being behind a car that had a Rogue bumper sticker on it. So I kind of started wondering, what is this Rogue running business? And then I ended up having two acquaintances who were really involved in the community. And they both talked about it and they were passionate about it. And they were um, you know, making these really outlandish goals for themselves and achieving them. But what really struck me was they were both really normal looking people. I, I just really identified with them. and. I kind of always had that thought of, wow, you're a runner. So I took the um, Rogues to do a four-week intro to running course that you could get for like $25 with a Groupon. I did that, and um, I think I got pretty lucky. My intro coaches were Brent Stein, <laughs> who now is like one of the big-time coaches, um, and Chris Gowell, who was one of the elite runners. Um, so I got really lucky with my, with my four-week intro course. Um, and I was hooked. I, when I started running, I couldn't finish a block. And by the end of that four-week course, I was running five miles with Brent, which was um, exciting and wonderful and made me really happy. So I moved into my first half marathon training with Stacy Shapiro, who is also just a person that you're lucky to work with if you ever have the chance. 
Um, and that's it. I've been here ever since. You guys have been stuck with me. <laughs> I'm six marathons in, and I don't remember how many half marathons. At what point did the f- switch flip for you in terms of, you know, I assume when you showed up, it was terror terrorizing <laughs> to get that first step in the door, to make that first step in the door. And then at some point you probably thought, you know what, I belong here. Talk about that shift. Yeah, I actually know the moment that happened. <clears throat> I will say that um, I never felt unwelcome. That, and that's just the rogue community. And that's, that's part of the magic of rogue. Um, and after I started rogue, I moved to a large city on the East coast for five years. And I thought, Oh, I will find this there. Every city must have this. And I will tell you from lived experience that that is not the the case. Um, The community that you and Ruth and the rest of the team built um, is really special in that everyone, everyone is made to feel welcome always. And I love it for that. The moment that I felt like, yep, I belong here. I'm actually a runner. This is for me. Um, this has been the summer of Scotty Mac, I feel like, so I'm just going to keep on with that theme. <laughs> I feel like Scotty Mac's been around all summer. Um, again, one of the elite athletes, you know, like a multi-time NCAA champ who used to cha- train with Rogue and work for Rogue. Um, I was out on a Saturday morning long run, and I was doing like five or eight miles, you know, not something super long by distance running standards, but it was the first time that I was really getting that kind of mileage. And I'm not fast, I'm out there for a while. And I'm, you know, three or four miles in, struggling, and something moves past me that's like a, you know, a a stiff breeze. And I just happen (laughs) to notice that it's Scotty Mack, you know, running five times as fast as me. And I finally get back to Rogue. I'm on a mat, I'm stretching on the ground. I'm, I, you know, I'm probably chafed everywhere. And Scotty Mack has eaten and showered and maybe even had a little nap. And now he's working the retail floor, bebopping around like he did. And um, I said, man, I just admire you so much and you have so much talent. And without even skipping a beat, he said to me, I admire you because you stay out there for so long and you stick with it for so long. He said, I could never do that. And it was just so cool to have someone who is such an athlete and so talented see something in me that I never would have seen in myself. Um, and, and, you know, tell me that there is value, even though we're so different, there's value in what I'm doing. And that, I mean, that changed, that changed me that day. And I've never told him that I should probably tell him that at some point too. It was a big deal. That's cool. What did it do for you? What did that unlock in you? Um, I mean that, that moment, and then, you know, just running generally, um, definitely has made me more confident in all areas of my life. And for anyone who knows me, they probably think they they probably can't imagine me you know not being loud and over the top and um, bold as brass. But I think I think that I probably am that ten times more than when I started um, because you just you know these these running goals are crazy. You know, go out and run twelve miles on a Saturday just to go do that. That's that's see but we do it all the time um and just you know those those wins over and over and over again it affects every part of your life there's no doubt about that so how did it evolve for you you run that first half eventually you get into marathons talk about building momentum in the sport for you well i i finished my first half 
And um, I finished like three seconds under what the two mile time trial told me I should have finished at. And I thought, man, these people know what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) They told me if I follow their plan, this is what would happen. And it's exactly what happened. (laughs) So I believed in the training from that moment on. But Stacey Shapiro was my coach. And I went to her and said, that's it. I'm in. Let's start running marathons. And she's just so smart and level-headed and kind and generous. She said, I love you for being excited, but let's get three or four more half marathons under your belt. Um, which, you know, probably made me a little bit mad at the time. Like I was ready to go, but (laughs) of course it was great advice. So that's what I did. I ran a handful more marathons, but at that point I had moved to the East coast and at the time rogue wasn't doing virtual training. So I started working with, um, other virtual coaches, independent virtual coaches, um, while I was living, while I was living there. And I trained for my first handful of marathons alone. (laughs) with a coach that I didn't know and a program that I didn't really love. Um, But I made it through and then I came back. I've been back in Austin for three years. What was your first marathon? Chicago. And I picked it because everyone said that's the best one to start with because of the crowd support and 100% agree with that. Also my first marathon. Yeah. It is a good one for the first. So what was that experience like? It was wonderful. Um, My parents came, flew up and met me and we spent the weekend together I have super great stories from that race too. Um, I got sunburned, which I didn't expect. Again, I spend a lot of time on a course just because of my pace. And it just didn't occur to me that I would be out there long enough to get sunburned. But I was coming up the backside of the course um, on the south side of Chicago and all of the churches had let out. And so all of the churches there, when they let out, all of the attendees just stay and cheer and there was this woman standing in the middle of the course screaming and you know cheering for everyone and she made eye contact with me and she said i see you i see you and i said i am not doing so great <laughs> and um she said she said to me you have to look the fear and the pain in the eye and then just smile right back at it right back at it and i've never forgotten it it was a really good experience that's good advice yep. what was that finish line like did you get emotional I did. And, um, I started the term now is cryperventilating because <laughs> I was exhausted and I was out of breath. And then I started crying and then the medics came over and they thought I was passing out. <laughs> it was the scene. And I said, no, it's fine. I'm just crying and hyperventilating at the same time. <laughs> and I had a fear in each hand. It was a disaster, but it was wonderful. Cryperventilating. I like that. Yeah. And you said six now you've done. Yes, I just finished um, LA on March 8th, and I didn't think it was going to happen. Oh, wow. That was right before. That was the last big race that made it in, right? Yeah. I mean, I I thought, well, this trip's canceled, and then I made the trip, and the whole time there, oh, this race is going to be canceled. And I went to the expo, and I got my bag and my bib, and I was like, I guess we're doing this. How did that one go? Uh, It was a miserable race for me. The course was much harder than I thought it was going to be. And just getting to the start line is such a hassle. I haven't done New York or obviously Boston, but I'm, you know, I feel like getting to those start lines is also a hassle. Um, So it just, it was less fun because of that experience. I mean, like I'm spoiled by Austin where you just, you can park two blocks from the start and hit the road and go. Um, But the course, the LA course was, was a blast. It's it's just fun to run through LA like that and end at the ocean. 
but yeah, it was a really hard race for me. I would like to go back in a few years and see if I can do a little better. What was it like with the the COVID cloud hanging over that race? I remember <laughs> LA got a little bit of flack for, for keeping it. Yeah, I think even though it was on everyone's radar, we just had no idea what was coming. You know, I, I was I was just trusting the folks in charge and following their lead. And if they say it's okay, okay. I remember flying out there, no one was even wearing masks yet. People were just starting to wear masks when I flew back. So um, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't seem like that big a deal while, we, while I was there, just because we didn't know it was coming. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was in Atlanta the weekend before that for the Olympic trials, standing in, you know, crowds of four or 500 people for our yeah. out run and then cheering, same thing where you saw some mass in the airport, but we didn't really know what was coming. Now, yeah. here we are. How has it been running for you during the pandemic? Um, there were a few issues that came up for me right at the beginning was right when it started getting hot here and so when it's hot here you run at you know five o'clock in the morning to beat the sun but now i'm running by myself in a neighborhood like i've, I've never really run in my own neighborhood right i always go to rogue and run uh, but just being a woman running alone in the dark is a little bit of a challenge mm. so it took me a while to get used to that and to kind of find some safe routes but what i what happened was everybody in the neighborhood started coming out you know, you used to never see people walking and running around, but now I can go out at five or five thirty in my neighborhood and see 20 other people on the street. Yeah. So it's kind of worked out. Um, and I've just used this time to really bear down and build the base like you all have been talking about. And um, I want to come out of this really strong and ready for whatever the racing season looks like when it does come back. I love that. Good perspective. And it is crazy how many people you see out. I've I've met neighbors of sorts, people in the neighborhood that I wouldn't have normally met just because, you know, we're all out in the streets getting yeah. exercise in some form, not yeah. all running, some walking, lots of kids out running or walking with their parents, which is cool. Yeah. So let's talk, let's kind of shift into talking about the topic that you brought really to me. And I think it's a good one, I, you know, several episodes ago, we talked about inclusivity in our running community around color and diversity and people of color. And obviously we have big opportunities in that space to be more inclusive. But the thing that you brought forward, which is equally valid is this idea that we also have opportunity around size inclusivity about making people of all body shapes and sizes feel comfortable in our community and showing them that they're as welcome and as worthy of the of the sport and of the goals that might be associated with it so why why that topic for you what's important about it it came up recently because someone else on my team <clears throat> invited me to do a virtual race series with her that is sponsored by a clothing company that i have chosen not to support because they are not size inclusive and I was telling my teammate about it and she said, wow, tell me more, I've never thought about this. And then it occurred to me, you know, runners who are, um, who fit into what they call straight sizing, which is, you know, kind of the standard size that clothes are made in, in this country, 
um, have probably never considered how difficult it is for someone who is bigger or taller or shorter um, or, or who is just sized outside of the norm, how difficult it is for us to, um, to buy our clothes. And so I got to talking about, about that with her and then thought, you know, other people might, might want to learn about this a little more. Um, and she, she was really supportive and she said, tell me what I can do. And I said, well, maybe start with not supporting that brand and not repping that brand anymore. Um, and yeah, I just kind of wanted to get that message out because I feel like running in general, but specifically rogue is a really welcome community. You know, like I said, at the beginning, the, the message is, um, if you're here, you're a runner. That's what I've always been told. And I really believe that, um, we're, you know, we, we get trained the same, whatever our ability or our goals or our age, or, you know, again, our, our speed, our pace. Um, so I, I know that runners don't want to intentionally do anything to make anyone feel left out. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, bring this up and, you know, how it manifests for me, um, most regular running clothes go up to about a size 10 for women, sometimes a size 12, like a Nike extra large is a size 12. Um, and that's, you know, if you go into to the running store at Rogue or most regular running stores, you're going to find a Nike extra large. Nike carries larger sizes online, but in stores, that's how big it's going to be. Well, I can't wear that size. I'm bigger than that. So um, I had an experience last year where I showed up to a Tuesday night workout and I had forgotten to pack my sports bra and I ran to the store at Rogue and looked at the racks and they just, they don't carry my size. So I ended up having to miss my Tuesday night workout. And, you know, it, it was just, it was a bummer and it made me feel left out. Like, you, you know, yeah. this is the size I am and here I am. And it, it makes you feel like not a part of that community when other runners could have easily just gone over and grabbed what they needed and, and kept on going. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important topic. It's also a tricky one. You know, at Rogue, we no longer own our retail space. So we we sold that to Jackrabbit a couple of years back. And so now we lease that space back to them. They operate it. But, you know, we were in the retail business from 2008 till, I guess it was 2017, maybe, maybe 2018. And so about 10 years. And apparel was always so, so challenging as a running retailer because even if you had the quote unquote what do you call it? Straight sizing or normal sizing? Even if you had that normal sizing in a given item, oftentimes you'd sell about half of it and you'd be have half of it left over. Then you'd have to put it on clearance and, and discount it out before it became a color scheme or a style that was no longer relevant. So we were constantly battling our apparel inventory and, and it really was that category in your business where you're not making money, really, you're just hoping to break even on it. And, you know, and people would ask about sizing and we'd say, well, we, we can only afford to, to sort of keep straight sizing in. But I would say also at the same time, there weren't a lot of brands that offered sizing beyond that either. So it was a combination of two, two, those two things, those aren't necessarily excuses, but it's just bringing up structural challenges with that topic, but it's still relevant because 
that is one way that people are feeling like they don't belong. They don't belong. And honestly, if I could go back, I would almost rather not have apparel to sell than to make people feel excluded if I could go back and make those decisions again. Because it would happen all the time, the things like you're talking about. So, but there are brands that are doing a better job of that now. Wazelle is one brand that has taken at least key styles and gone up to, I believe it's size 26 in their line. What's your experience with that or other brands in terms of being more inclusive with sizing? Yep. Um, The issue I think at this point um, isn't really directed at manufacturers anymore and brands, because like you say, the big brands are doing a better job of carrying the bigger sizes. Um, I read that I think it's Nike and one of their flagship stores is even using extended size models now, like on the floor. Um, so they are doing a, a better job. And just with the, the growth of online shopping, independent brands are opening up now. So it is possible shopping online to, to find extended sizes. So again, I, I don't really have a beef so much with manufacturers anymore. There are a handful that still um, even publicly say we're just not going to carry extended sizes and that's irritating. But uh, I think there are other groups that um, there, there are other ways to get those extended sizing extended sizes out. Um, and I totally get the frustrations that you're talking about with retailers. You know, you only have so many square feet of floor space um, to to put an inventory in. Um, I will say, I don't think that retailers do a great job of knowing who their customers are or what their customers want. And an example is Jackrabbit. You know, I try to be loyal to them because I appreciate having them right there on site to buy the things that, that we need, you know, last minute that we've forgotten for our workout. But I can't always support them because again, they don't have our sizes, but they've never asked me, you know, I've never gotten a survey from them or um, even, even, you know, just the people working the floor, Hey, Hey, what are we not carrying that you would like us to carry? Or, you know, what size are you? Um, I just think that they aren't, they aren't doing the best job of knowing who their customers are. Um, And, you know, that on them, I, I, I read once about a, uh, when Target opened their stores in Hawaii, they actually had to re- redo their entire business model for their Hawaiian stores because the sizing in that community is so different than it is on the mainland. Um, I, I mean, I think stores might need to be a little bit more flexible knowing who their who their local customers are. Yeah. It's, a, it's an embedded assumption that runners look a certain way and therefore need a certain size of clothing. So let's talk about that part because I do think there are some biases explicit and explicit within the running communities broadly that if you look a certain way, then you don't belong as a runner. Now you've talked about feeling welcomed in our road community, but has that manifested differently for you outside of the road community in terms of feeling welcome as a runner? Um, 100%. I consistently, when I meet new people, um, and again, it's different in Austin just because people are kind of more open-minded here. It happened to me all the time on the East Coast. 
I introduced myself as a runner because I identify as a runner and I would consistently get these surprised looks on people's faces um, to the point where someone that I worked with did that to me. And I just, you know, I didn't hesitate. I said, oh, do I not look like a runner because I'm fat? And he, you know, kind of almost fell out of his chair. Um, but yes, people who are not runners, I, I think don't accept that you don't have to look a certain way to be a runner. But again, I think people who are runners, um, that never crosses our mind. We, we know that anybody can do this. Yeah. If you go to any road race, you'll see all shapes and sizes there but there are occasionally these debates that you might see online sometimes i think again these are more external to the community but where people will say or try to define a runner you know are you a jogger are you a runner are you what you know there's these debates that we have about how do you know if you're a runner and i always get frustrated by those debates because i think i think it's simple that as if you put one foot in front of the other then you're a runner that's that's pretty much my definition but have you had identity crisis around that what's your thought on that debate um i've probably had some doubts you know again especially with my pace um i you know i've probably had those moments where i thought the speed walkers could finish a marathon faster than I'm doing my run. Um, but the, the runners that I'm around, the coaches that I've always had have always made it very clear to me that, um, that's not, the, that's not the case. I am a runner. Um, so yeah, maybe a little bit, but it's not been something that, um, has overwhelmed me really. I'm, I've just been told so many times over and over again that I'm a runner that I believe I'm a runner. That's good. That's good. I'm glad we've programmed you appropriately. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we, we call our runners athletes as well. And one of my favorite quotes is from Bill Bowerman, who was one of the co-founders of Nike. And he, he would say that if you have a body, you're an athlete. And I think the same is true of runners. If you have a body, you're a runner. Whether you're actually choosing to do that activity or not may be a different question, but if you have a body, you're a runner or you're capable of running. So that I believe wholeheartedly. I think one of the things that's important about that is that, you know, it's what you referred to earlier, that everyone or that this sport that we have, that we know and love has so much power. It's, there's power in it well beyond just getting fitter and being healthy. There's that power for life change that is what you described, building confidence, building self-esteem, showing yourself that you can test your limits and push beyond them, showing yourself that you can set big goals and go achieve them. And that access to life change shouldn't be restricted to people of certain shapes and sizes. It just shouldn't. But I often see a couple of things. One, you know, certainly those more elitist in the sport that are trying to restrict it and say, look, no, only, only these of small body types have access to this type of goal setting or this type of work. But then I also see athletes that might be in that camp of feeling like they're not worthy. I see them listen and internalize and come to believe that they aren't worthy and that they 
don't and shouldn't have access to the same goals that those of other body types might have. And it's part of my life's mission, honestly, to make everybody feel like they're worthy. But it can be hard at times. Talk about some of those insecurities that maybe you've faced or you've seen other faced, others face and how they manifest. Yeah. Um, well, I will say I'm totally okay with parts of our sport being reserved for people who are really high achieving, who, who are the fastest. Um, I'm never going to run a Boston and that's actually okay with me. Like that truly is a place where I think you have to earn your spot there. Um, and it really is for the, the folks who are the fastest and that's fine. So, you know, the, the allowing parts of the sport to be off limits to those of us who can't do a thing um, is fine with me. I think that's okay. But like you said, um, the entire sport shouldn't be off limits or um, advanced training shouldn't be off limits. Um, I had another experience this summer where um, I was getting dressed to go out for one of my early morning runs and I was just looking in my underwear drawer and I was like, it is so hot today. I'm only going out in a sports bra. And you know, we have sports bra squad here in Austin that encourages um, men and women to run without a shirt um, and you know to, to be comfortable with their bodies, to be proud of their bodies, um, to accept their bodies. And I've been on a couple of their runs, but I had never run in just my sports bra. Uh, but I was alone and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. And I did it this summer and now I just run in a sports bra. I don't wear shirts anymore. Um, and I, you know, I've been running for eight years. I'm 41 years old. Um, and I'd never been outside the house in not a shirt. And it was, it was terrifying. Um, thankfully again, it was 5:30 AM in my neighborhood early in COVID and no one was outside. So I kind of got to do the first couple of times by myself, but now I don't think twice about doing it. Um, and again, that changed me. And, you know, it was just, again, running, giving me that confidence um, and you know, giving me that self-acceptance that I had never had before. And it took me a long time to get here. I've been running for a while now. Um, so yeah, you know, you just, and I, I don't think you have to be um, of a certain body type to have those kinds of doubts. Everybody doubts themselves and thinks they're less than at any time. Um, it's true. The, I uh, promise you the, the ones that you think have it all together are probably the most yeah, <laughs> insecure. Sure. Yeah. And and I've worked with athletes at all levels, literally all levels in the sport. And I and I promise you that no one is immune to insecurities. Yeah. That is for certain. Yeah. And the first time I came back when Rogue started doing group lawn runs again, and you know, it was it was that moment where I was standing at my car, oh God, I'm gonna take off my shirt for the first time. Nobody even noticed. Nobody said anything. Nobody's looking at you like you think they're looking at you. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Most of it's all in our head, right? So I wanna argue a little bit with you about the Boston comment that you made. Okay. Or at least debate it. Because I I mean I your point of it's okay to promote certain types of achievement, I think is valid. You know, if, if we're going to have standards, you know, that's okay if not everybody can meet certain standards. That's part of life. But there are aspects of the Boston 
thing that make me uncomfortable. As someone who's even, you know, race bossing myself and who goes more or less every year as a coach, it is a little bit elitist. I'm going to be completely honest. That is the one part of the Boston experience being there physically, which is an amazing experience. I am not knocking it. It is worthy of the goals that people have for it. But there is a little tinge in certain pockets of that weekend where you feel like it's a bit elitist and where those some subset of those that are a part of it want to be a part of it so specifically so that others can be excluded. Mm-hmm. And that to me is when it starts to take a turn that's more negative. You know, it's okay to want to go achieve something and then get there and then celebrate that. That's one thing. But to celebrate it with also the fact that you seem to be celebrating the fact that certain people aren't there, that's where it turns for me. Because you should be celebrating everybody wanting to be there. You know, if you told me, Aaron, I want to qualify for Boston, I would say, okay, let's talk about it. (laughs) Because I want you to feel like if that's a goal that you have, regardless of what your past times say, regardless of what your body shape thinks you, you know, you think your body shape says about you, regardless of that, I want you to be able to say that's a goal of mine and then have people look at you and be like, you're not crazy, Aaron, we can do this. Let's do this. It's not going to be easy, but let's do this. And I would say that that's not necessarily true in reality for people right. because, because of the sort of aura that is associated with that mm-hmm. part of the world. The other thing I remind people is that Boston used to be an open race. Yeah, It wasn't until I believe it was the 80s that they introduced qualifying standards because the race got too big. So they had to do something to limit it. They started adding these standards, but that was actually hotly debated at the time by the local runners who considered it the people's race. And so now, you know, there's all of these people that will say, well, the charity runners shouldn't be able to run Boston because they didn't qualify. Right. But they don't know the history. They don't know the history that Boston actually used to be a race that anybody could theoretically anybody could sign up for. Women weren't able to until until the the seventies, which you know, wasn't great either, but it wasn't associated with the time at one time and people forget that. Yeah. How does it make you feel if I say you could have a Boston goal? (laughs) Well, (laughs) knowing how far I have to go to get there, it makes me feel tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I don't, I'm, I'm pretty uh, level headed about my personal time and distance goals. Um, but I did just have another runner this morning tell me that um, I was being a bit of a sissy um, <laughs> in, in saying that I couldn't do a certain run. So maybe I'm being a little bit too um, conservative on myself, conservative with my goals. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't think you were crazy if you said that to me just because I've been around Rogue long enough and I've seen other people do crazy things. Um, it's not on my radar right now or anytime soon. And that's okay. It's okay for it not to be on your waiter. It's okay for it not to be something you want. It's okay for it not to be something that anybody in our sport would want because you get to choose your goals. You have power over that. And so I want you to choose what's exciting to you, what's going to get you motivated that is uniquely associated with your purpose. 
But I, what I don't like to hear, and again, I'm not throwing this at you directly, but what I don't like to hear is when people say, I can't have that goal because of who I am. That's right. where the limitations start yeah. to come in that are, that are either artificially created in our own heads or imposed on us because of how the community talks about it. And I think Boston qualification is one of those things that, yes, at, time, at times can be a very inclusive topic, but at times it can also be very exclusive. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to say, you know, that shouldn't be automatically off limits for anybody. If somebody wants to have that goal, if somebody believes that that's important to them, then they should have the right to go for it, you know, versus being artificially excluded because they look a certain way automatically. Yeah, no, my comment about, about Boston was strictly based on my ability, um, not necessarily coming from the size inclusivity question, but that's just my pace and, and where I know I am. We'll have to work on you just a little bit. <laughs> just kidding. So, okay, so we talked about that, but yes, Boston, to me, there's two sides to that, and there are parts of it that I wish we could make more inclusive, more inclusive, and and that goes all the way to the weekend itself. And it extends to training too. You know, you've kind of referenced this, but you know, part of the things, part of the reason Rogue was founded, and one of our founding principles is this idea that everybody can have access to the same training concepts. You know, back in 2004, that was really novel. You know, at the time, if you looked up training programs for the everyday athlete, then you would find things that were very watered down, that were very sort of boxed, you know, it, it, you know, kind of typecast for those that, you know, might have the goal of training for a marathon because, the assumption was that the everyday athlete can't have access to those same training principles that an elite athlete can have access to. And I still hear that today, although you hear less and less of it. So it's really important to us that everybody can have access to the same type of training, to the same training principles. Yes, the paces might be different. The volume might be different. But the work can look the same and sometimes be even the same workouts. Scotty Mack might do the same workouts as some of our rogue athletes. But that can be a pretty intimidating concept. How have you faced down that concept yourself? Well, I didn't. I didn't have to um, face it down because when I started, I didn't know any different. <laughs> I just said, "This is what they're going to tell me to do," and I did it. But when I was on the East Coast working with these other coaches, um, I when I moved there, I actually had a goal of getting a PR on the Austin course. So I would I would actually fly back every February to run the Austin half and I had to run it three times. And every time I would come back, I would not come anywhere close to my goal. And part of that was the, you know, the weather difference, right? Like I'm, I'm training in the Northeast in the winter time to come here and run in the 80 degree heat. Um, so I had to, I had to adapt my training for that. And also where I was living, it was very flat and it's not that here. So part of that was my trouble, but the coaches I was working with, especially after the first year I came back and I just crashed and burned so hard on that half marathon, I went back and I said, you need to train me harder. And 
I didn't feel like she trained me any harder. So then the next year I went to a different coach. And the first time I met with him, I said, no, I'm serious. And I, and I told him what you all had always told us. I said, train me like one of your more elite athletes. And I think he struggled with that at first. I, I'm fairly certain he had never done that before. But I could tell as the cycle went along that he was really throwing more at me. And he would, he would look at my, we were using training peaks, peak training, something. We weren't using Strava, but yeah, training peaks, he, yeah. he would get on and um, you know, look at my workouts every night. And he started sending me text messages during training saying, oh my God, like you're blowing your paces out of the water. And I kind of thought, yeah, because you're finally making me work hard. <laughs> and I came back and on the third try, I beat my goal by six minutes. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's not a huge goal by elite athlete standards, but it was a gigantic goal to me um, that I worked for three years to get to. So, um I think it's probably always made me feel good. It's made me feel good to know that you were putting me through the same thing that you were putting Scotty Mack through. And a lot of days we probably looked exactly the same. Scotty Mack's 10 years younger than me. <laughs> probably looked exactly the same, like in a heap on the floor. Of course he was running four times faster than me, but we were working just as hard. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I love it. I totally appreciate it. And, you know, I get it now and I love getting our new schedules and, um, you know, seeing what kind of destruction you're going to put me through over the next three months. <laughs> <laughs> it's a palpable way to put it, <laughs> destruction. But yes, that's the one of the beauty thing, beautiful things about running is that whether you're at the front or the very back, the suffering is the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes it's hard for people to really understand that because they think if they're more towards the back of the pack, they think there's no way that that elite runner in the front is hurting like I hurt, yeah. but it's true. <laughs> yeah. The pain is the same. Their insecurities going in are the same, sometimes yeah. even bigger because they've got financial elements on the line and they have the same doubts, same fears, same struggles. It hurts as much. They get side stitches just like everybody else. And, you know, they question themselves in the middle of those races too, as to whether or not they can do it just like everybody else. And that's one of the beautiful things about our sport is that we all get to approach it the same and, and really truly get the same out of it too. If, if we want to, sometimes I have, or I, I will talk to runners that will that might be new to rogue and they'll oftentimes the first couple of things they'll say to me are they'll first they'll say, I'm not a runner. So that comes up. We've already talked about that a little bit, but then they'll also say, I'm slow. That's another phrase that comes shortly thereafter, after I'm not a runner, I'm slow. And I, and so, you know, body shape size is one way we judge people, but pace is another and as a coach, it's understandable, but also frustrating. I usually don't tolerate it because I, I usually tell people that, well, there's no slow in my vernacular as a coach. There's only degrees of fast. And if you're out there at any time training, then you're faster than that person that's sitting at home. So it's all about degrees of fast for me. But getting over that hump of feeling like you're 
not slow is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Changing that inner dialogue. So talk about that journey for you. Um, well, you have never coached me, but you have given me that speech. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's true. Uh, the first time was on a Saturday morning long run. I was running with my running partner at the time and you were the coach on duty and you were driving the course to check on all the people working water stops. And we got to the water stop when you were there and it was getting later in the morning and my partner and I both apologized and said, we're sorry, we're so slow. We're keeping you out here. And um, yeah, you did not tolerate it. (laughs) (laughs) I do not take that. You let us know that you aren't going to let us uh, speak about ourselves like that. (laughs) Um, But no, it was was good. It was a good message. I I am definitely self-conscious about my speed because there are not, there are just like, I'm alone on the course a lot. But, you know, I was actually this past Saturday talking to another rogue in another group who her pace is two minutes per mile faster than me, but she's also alone on the course a lot, right? Like, I think no matter what your pace is, that just happens to you sometimes. Maybe you don't have a group running together. I do get jealous of, you know, these groups that are, there are six, eight, 10 of them who train together and always run together. Um, And I just don't have that experience. Maybe not necessarily because I'm slow. That's just, there's no one else running my pace at road right now. Um, I, I do, I have in the past, I think, again, that's a little bit with age, um, that you kind of just start caring what other people think less. Um, and I think, again, it's some of the confidence that I'm getting now and, you know, having other runners tell me, so what, if you were on the LA course for six hours, you finished LA, that was, you know, you finished six marathons. People do tell me that all the time. And it's, it's again, just one of those self-doubts that you have about yourself all the time. Um, but again, I'm lucky to be surrounded by people who won't tolerate it. <laughs> Say no, you can't do that. And that's that's uh, part of what I think people, one message I want to give from this episode is, is to find that community that will treat you that way. Because yeah, there are parts of the running community for better or for worse that won't treat you th- the same that you know might judge you in that way but i think there are many more parts that will treat you the same that will give you that tough love to say no aaron you're not slow you're a certain degree of fast that's way faster than almost everybody else and and that will make you feel included so you got to find you got to find that tribe that's going to treat you that way and and then hold on to them tightly and and dearly i also think it's there is a message too about changing that inner dialogue and just even the words that we use you know sometimes it's easy to get stuck labeling ourselves a certain way and and to even forget about it or to to make it become kind of second nature i'm sure that moment when i was at the water stop with you you weren't thinking negatively about yourself you weren't thinking i'm slow you know you weren't being an eeyore in that moment it was just the way you were programmed to respond that it came out naturally but we've got to reprogram the dialogue part of that's being surrounded by people that will help us but also just knowing it in ourselves and saying okay no 
I'm fast too. I'm fast too. And those words of affirmation go a long way. I want to talk about the comment you made about, you know, being willing to take your shirt off and sort of feel like you're enough, you know, showing up however you're going to show up, whether it's at Rogue or on your own runs. That isn't easy to do, getting over that hurdle. You know, it started with you on a solo run because you're probably out of necessity in these hot Texas summers, but it's, but it's harder to do. It's harder to do for a lot of people. And of course, you know, I've talked a lot with Jesse about this. She was on the podcast, Jesse Barnes, who helps with the sports or one of the founders of the sports, sports bra squad here in Austin. But what messages would you give to those men and women who aren't comfortable with how they look in terms of reprogramming their brain about their worthiness? Man, it's, it's, a loaded, heavy, heavy question. Um, I, for me, from my experience, I think it probably was coming from a place of not feeling worthy and not looking like an athlete, um, yet not looking like the world says you're supposed to look. Um, even though I am the size of an average American woman, right? I'm not the size of an average athlete, um, but I am, you know, I, I am the on paper size of an average woman, but I feel um, uncomfortable. I feel embarrassed to show my body for the longest time when I started running, you know, when I very first started running, I was in like the loosest fitting longest sweatpants and cotton t-shirts that I could tolerate and you can't tolerate those very long running, especially <laughs> in Austin. Certainly so that didn't not. last very long. Um, but yeah, just, you know, showing, I, I guess, and I haven't ever had any, I had a few experiences where, you know, strangers on the street have commented about what my body looks like over the years, but I haven't had any just horrible negative. It's not, my mother wasn't really a nitpicker. You know, I didn't, I didn't come from that kind of background. Um, and again, you don't have to be big. It, people talk about people's bodies all the time, right? Like we feel like we just get to do that. Um, so, but for me, you know, running, starting to run in my sports for all this summer and, you know, I wear compression shorts now. Um, I think that probably came from a place of um, not feeling like an athlete and not feeling like a runner. But yeah, this, when that happened, I was just like, I'm tired of this. It is hot. And I am going to wear as little clothing as possible. But what would I say to someone else? You know, if, again, you are an athlete, right? Um, you get to come out here and whether you're walking or riding a bike or swimming, you know, you can wear a two-piece if you want to, if that's what you, it's going to make you feel comfortable and perform better as a, as a swimmer or whatever. Um, but I, I think the reason that people are afraid to take their clothes off come from so many different places that I couldn't begin um, to speak to all of them. But if we're just talking about, are you an athlete or not? Yes, you're an athlete and you can come out here in those compression shorts and your sports bra and, um, get beat up just like Scotty Mack does. <laughs> and you're going to be an athlete. All bodies are good bodies as my friend, Jesse Barnes says. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I've 
heard her talk about as well as other athletes on this topic is the idea of focusing on what your body can do versus what it looks like. Yeah. You know, you're running, you know, you've described in this conversation eight mile runs as short, <laughs> which, yeah. which is, which is, uh, which is something that happens fairly quickly when you get into training and rogue is suddenly, you know, all, all runs are short runs, Yeah. but, but you can go out and do it. And yeah. it is in a way short for you now because you've done the training and done the work to make it so, but that's coming a long way from being able to run a block at a time. Yeah. Um, how you don't let people say they're slow. I remember the first time, you know, I saw Brent Stein on a Saturday morning and he said, how far are you going today? And I said, oh, only six miles. And he said, you're not allowed to put the word only in front of your mileage. <laughs> That's right. And I, I, th I think about that all the time now um, because, you know, it's not just six miles. Dang it, it's six miles. Yeah. Um, something else you said, you know, uh, about what Jesse says about, um, celebrating what your body can do. When I came back from the LA marathon, I was beating myself up so bad. And you did a podcast like the week after my race talking about how to get over a bad race. And I have to tell you, it pulled me out of the hole. It was like mm -hmm. exactly what I needed when I needed it. I've listened to it twice. It's so good. If anyone has a bad race, go listen to that episode. Um, but I, I had been back for, you know, a week or 10 days and I have a regular Friday night yoga class that I go to. And I went back to the class um, and I hadn't really told my instructor that I had had a bad race or that I'd been bummed out about it. But they always do, you know, a little meditation at the begin at the beginning of your practice and have you set an intention. And he asked us that night to meditate on um, showing our body gratitude and being grateful for what our bodies have done and do for us. And, you know, his message was, your body just got you through another week of living and thank it for that. But I was sitting there meditating on, oh, God, my body just got me through a marathon. And all I've done for the past week is yell at it and talk about how much I hate it and how disappointed I am in it. So I, I think we do need to spend more time being grateful for um, what our bodies do and what they can do. Here's to that. Let's talk a little bit forward thinking. We've talked about the size inclusivity and, and how manufacturers are doing a better job of, of giving access to more sizes. I also think there is more to be done in terms of sharing images of all body types across our sport. You know, I think about the cover of Runner's World and there was much made about how few women of color have been on the color of runners world cover of runners world. Alicia Montano, a black female athlete was on this, this month's uh, issue. And I highly recommend everybody go grab that really powerful article about Alicia to try to help change that trend. But you also won't see all body types represented typically on the cover of runners world either. And so I think there's another point of we can do a better job as a sport of including and showing representation for all sizes not just on the cover of Runner's World, but in ad imagery and in images we use on Facebook, whether it be to promote a business like ours or pr promote a race itself, because you don't necessarily see enough of variety in body types in those places as well. Would you agree? Yeah, I think about specifically promos for races all the time. 
Um, and, you know, you typically just see whoever won the race last year, which is, again, awesome. And that's that's the ultimate goal to be working for. But there are also 5, 10, 40,000 other people running that race. Um, and, yeah, it would be super cool to see those other people being represented in the promotions. Yeah. What else? What else are we missing? Where else are we falling short as a community? Um, well, and again, I don't. I don't want to have the conversation from the perspective of, you know, criticism. Um, I really wanted to have the conversation because the community means so much to me. And I, I just, I want to do everything I can to make it even better than I found it. And again, I don't think anyone's doing anything intentionally. I think it's a, it's a blind spot that maybe we're just missing. Um, I think there, again, from a retail perspective, um, there's an opportunity, even if we can't, even if stores don't have the budget to open up more of their floor space to extended sizing, I think there are a lot of opportunities in pop-up shops, whether you have, you know, a brand come out just for a Saturday after a long run, or if you feature their product on your floor for a month, um, or even if you're not going to have them in the store, you know, partner with them and feature them in some of your promotions. Um, I think there's a there's an opportunity to do that. Um, I also really would like to, again, speaking about races, I would really like for race directors um, and other event promoters to think about what's going in their expos. Um, I've left two marathons that I participated in, including LA, without any swag from the expo because they didn't carry a size big enough for me. I could have bought like a men men's t-shirt but you know i want to wear the women's cut and yep. um you know kind of have that flattering look but um i would just encourage people putting on events to think about what what kind of clothing they're they're stocking um and who are who are your sponsors and that's a, that's hard i know that's hard for race and event promoters um i'm, I'm a professional fundraiser by trade so we have to have some hard conversations about who we're taking our money from um, all the time. But I would encourage race directors whenever we start racing again um, to think about that. Who, who are you taking your money from and are, is their business in line with your values and the kind of image that you want to promote through your event? Um, and even if you're not saying no to those partners, maybe you're having those hard conversations with them. Hey, we, we, we want to rep you at our event, but we just want you to know that there's this thing about you that we don't, that we think maybe you could improve. And again, for those race expos, who, who are the vendors that you're taking money from and, and giving floor space at your event for your 40,000 runners to, to walk past? Um, are they size inclusive? Are they sending a message that is in line with your values. And again, I get it. Like you need that money to, to run a good, a good event. So it's hard conversations, but we should at least be having those conversations. Um, and then just, you know, for the other athletes in the community, um, even if this isn't an issue that affects you personally, if you are, you know, straight sizing and you're like, I can find a sports bra anywhere. Um, know where you're shopping, know where you're spending your money. What, what are you, what kind of company are you supporting? Again, is it in line with your values? And um, I'm not telling you to go to your closet and throw out all of the clothes that you might own from some company, um, but challenge that company the next time you're shopping there or shoot them an email. Hey, you know, there's 
you're excluding this group of people, would you consider not doing that anymore? Um, or, you know, research some brands that aren't, that aren't doing that and start spending your money there instead. Those are all great points. I honestly had not thought about the expo point you made there of walking away from a race without something because it just wasn't there for you. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's another, uh, another lesson that we're learning this summer, right? I think this entire summer is the summer of hard conversations and the summer of learning how to think in ways that we've never thought before. Um, if you're putting on an event, is everyone represented in the planning? Like, is, it, do you have someone on your staff who can represent every group that's participating? Or do you have a planning committee? Or do you have volunteer leadership? And, and who's not there? Who, who should be there helping to point out these things that you're missing? Yep. All great points. And it gets me thinking that I guess the overarching thought I have is that we we can always be better, right? Right. You know, I think I like the way you framed it in a sense that you're not trying to be negative or, draw, or bring criticism. It's just this idea of opportunity and where can we improve. And I think it's clear that the running community can improve on inclusivity in a lot of areas, people of color being one size inclusivity being another and so what does that look like and are we working towards it or not are you a part of the solution or are you not and we all have a role to play in that yeah. whether you know we're leaders in the community or whether we're members in the community and the question becomes well in my role in this community what can i do right and so i think you you gave some really good ideas there and we can all ask ourselves that question and if it's it's either make the change be a part of the change or I'll call for the change ask for the change use your dollars to drive change and if we do it together then change will happen because it's just it's too important you know I was commenting I shared the runner's world article with Alicia Montano, who was on the cover again, black female athlete. And the thing that struck me as I was sharing that was the sadness that there are people in the community who haven't been invited into the running community because they weren't seeing black female role models, not because those black female role models weren't there or willing to be role models, but because no one was lifting up the voices of those athletes so that the young black women could see it and say, if that person can do it, if Alicia Montano can do it, I can do it. Which would bring richness to our community because you're inviting more people into it and giving people access to the power of change that can come through this sport. And the same thing is true with this topic around size inclusivity, which is to say there's so much power in life change in this activity of running that seems so trivial. But if we're excluding people because we're not inviting them in or making them feel excluded, then that is just tragic. Because not only are you not giving right. them access to the, the life change that can come, but also you're then losing a voice who could promote and support others in that similar life change. 
And so what's the ripple effect too, is the other thing I start to think about when you start to break down these barriers, what's the ripple effect? Because not only you bring in people that change their lives, but then they can touch more people. And there's a ripple effect that is well beyond that is just so palpable and powerful. And that's why it's important. Yep. I agree. And so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's so important. And I know there's, and I think it's always important also to in these conversations with the idea that, you know, we're talking about a slice of the conversation. You know, you brought up some great points, but there's more, there's much more than we can cover in an hour. And so I would encourage others to be having these conversations. If you have comments or thoughts, send them to my email, Chris at Rogue Running. I want to extend this discussion further with other feedback and thoughts because I know there's things that we haven't covered that we're missing or that I'm blind to even as a coach in this sport. But I thank you, Aaron, for being willing to share your story and for being willing to send the email and say, hey, let's talk about this. It's important. And I agree. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for hosting me and talking about it and promoting it and building an awesome community. Well, thanks for being a part of it. You make it better for so many reasons. And so I'm glad to share it with this broader community, but also just excited to celebrate you as a part of our road community. So thank you. Thanks. So there you go. Thanks to Aaron for joining us and thanks for raising the flag on that topic as something that's important to discuss and for being very oriented around solutions and helping us think through that. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks to all of you for listening. I do want to reiterate the message we sent in that in that episode, which is that you're all worthy regardless of your starting point, regardless of your body type, regardless of what goals you have, you're all worthy to be a part of the broader running community and you're all equal contributors in my mind to the ethos that helps make us all be better people together. So please, please, please own that, embrace that. And if if you're someone who through this conversation maybe is taking a harder look in the mirror, then I also encourage you to be a part of the solution in whatever way you can to help us all be more inclusive as a community. So with that, we'll wrap this episode. Thank you all again for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com where you can also sign up for one of those podcast-based training groups as well as follow us on social media at Rogue Running on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.